growing in God's Word, and learning how to take up our cross and follow Jesus. This is Crosswalk from Cross Culture Church in Raleigh, North Carolina. What is most important is not bigger, but better. And not just better, but great to be a great church. Get good grades. When you're in school, that's a message you hear over and over again from your parents. Our parents pushed us because they loved us, and probably nothing would please them more than to see straight A's on our report card. Well, our Heavenly Father loves us as well, and believe it or not, He wants to push us to get straight C's. Straight A's, man, that would be great. But, as a church, with a lot of C's in its name, as cross-culture church, I want to challenge us to aim for straight seeds. Hello and welcome to Crosswalk. Today we kick off a brand new series here at Cross Culture Church entitled Making the Grade as a Great Church, Aiming for Straight Seas. That may sound a bit strange because in school we were always taught to aim for straight A's. But as Pastor Clay is going to explain in this series from the book of Acts, God has expectations for His church. Over the next few weeks, we're going to take a look at each of those expectations that start with the letter C. One idea to share with you this morning, as far as we're going to get, is this. In a great church, there is the presence of the supernatural catalyst. We're living in a time where there is great uncertainty in our culture. More than ever, the church needs to be fulfilling the purposes God has for us. More than ever, the church needs to make the grade and be a great church. Now, here's Pastor Clay. This past week is the ninth, the ninth anniversary, the beginning of the ninth year of us meeting together as Cross Culture Church. Thanks. That's awesome. That was awesome. But, um, I, I just figured somebody's going to say, and we still don't have a building. <laughs> Thanks. That night, 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 but but now now we didn't officially launch until September, and so I really look at that as like our official anniversary date. But nine years ago, this past week, we began meeting as a church, cross culture churches, and this for, if you're new here, it's a little bit of reflection for you. Cross-culture church, quite honestly, was birthed out of a vision that, that God laid on my heart uh, for, for a church that's not, let's face it, we're not reinventing the wheel, we're not doing other things that other people aren't doing or anything else, but, but, but a church that would be based on this, uh, this core belief that it's not about me. That, that we would strive very hard to, to live as if it's not actually about me. It has not been easy. Because it is hard for us to not focus on ourselves. It is hard for me to not focus on me. And the same can be said for you. And Cindy and I... Uh, prayerfully made this decision, believing it's what God wanted us to do. We prayerfully made this decision. We resigned from a church where I had been serving for a little over eight years, and we stepped out in faith 
because we believe this is what God wanted us to do. <laughs> I'm not about to resign, by the way. It's, some reason, that, that's kind of, I'm like, man, that kind of sounds like you're getting ready to resign. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm, not, I'm, not getting ready, I'm not getting ready to resign. You, you can take that as an amen or an, or an oh my, whatever you think. Yeah. But anyway, um, because we, we believed it was what God wanted to do. What, what we didn't realize at the time, that I came to realize later, was that there were, there were other people that God had, was speaking into their heart who also believed in, in a vision of, of what this church could be, who also were willing to step out in faith and join us in this work that, that we believe God had called us to do. Some of you sitting here, uh, out here today, uh, were part of, of this thing when it originally started, a uh, little over eight years, just, or just going into ninth year now when this thing started, because you believed it was what God wanted you to be a part of. And, I, and Cindy and I will be eternally grateful to all of you that believed in that, in that vision and still believe in that vision, and eternally grateful for those of you who have come along side of us since then and, and, and believed in the vision and said, we, we want to see what God can do through cross-culture. Cross we will be eternally grateful. If you've been a part of cross-culture uh, for a, a while, then, then you can say, let's be honest. Not everyone that, that started out in this thing, that started out with the vision, stayed with the vision. Uh, some people have left. Maybe, maybe, they, maybe they lost... Uh, Maybe they lost sight of the vision. Maybe they lost uh, trust in, in me as the, as the lead pastor. A few people left because they, they were authentically called to a, a, another ministry to participate in. But, the, but let's be honest, the majority of people who did start in this and, and moved on did so because they wanted something different or, or something more traditional or something larger or something... Whatever the case may be, it's what I'm saying is it's it's hard to not focus on yourself. It's, it's hard for any of us to do that. We started meeting in the middle school right next door. And a couple of years later, the high school opened up to us. And it's wonderful. It's it, uh, uh, praise God. This auditorium is wonderful platform, all that kind of stuff. It's tough because it's a big room. It's a big room. It's hard to fill up a big, big room. But, but we, we moved a couple of years, moved to the high school, and we've been here ever since. Setting up, tearing down, every week. Brad is still hanging that banner out there every Friday afternoon, taking it down every Sunday evening. And here we are. We're still, we're still at this. We're, we're still doing this. But it has not been easy. And, and, and it seems like it comes easy to some churches. I'm just be honest with you. Right? I'm just in, insanely transparent right now. It seems like it comes easy to some church. It seems like sometimes a church can open their doors and the people just start flooding in. And before you know it, they're running thousands of people and, and they're operating multiple campuses and, and, uh, and doing all kinds of stuff. All the stuff that's part of the vision of cross-culture church, but that we've never seen come to fruition here yet. So uh, it, it's, it's, not, it's not been easy. By the way, I have come to understand this, I think. Bigger is not better. Better is better. Uh, every week, I, I, I honestly, every week in my prayer time, I try to remind myself that God, whether I preach to 
five people, 50 people, 500 people, or 5,000 people. I am, I am humbly grateful for the opportunity that I get to teach the Word of God to people that, that want to hear, that want to listen and grow. I, I'm amazingly grateful for that opportunity. Our children's ministry, whether they minister to three children, 30 children, or 300 children, I want it to be an experience where, where those teachers are involved to the hilt with those children, and those children's lives are being impacted and changed, and I know that's what Coral and those that, that minister back there, I know that's what they want. Our teenagers, however many teenagers we have, I pray that, that, that the part of the process here at Cross Culture, they come to understand, that they come to understand, that you come to understand just how much, how dynamic, how exciting God's plans are for your life if you will just believe Him and His Word and not buy into the lies of Satan and those who want to pull you away. I pray that our life groups, whether there are six or 60 or 600 of them, that they would be an authentic, true community of people gathered together, sharing life together, getting on each other's nerves from time to time, because we just need to do that with each other. Hanging out, fellowshipping, encouraging one another, challenging each other, convicting each other, holding each other accountable, growing with each other in our relationship with Jesus Christ, that it's a real, it's an authentic thing. That's, that's what I want to see. Bigger isn't necessarily better. Better is better. Now, having said that, that doesn't mean I don't want us to be bigger. I, I still absolutely believe in the vision that cross-culture church can be a church that can reach thousands. Thousands. Here, there, and everywhere. We'll talk about that some today. Here, there, and everywhere can be a church that can impact. Dude, there are hundreds of thousands, of, hundreds of thousands of people in and around us without a relationship with Jesus Christ. It is a target-rich environment, as I like to say. And I believe that God desires for us to be a great church in this community and wherever else it would go from that. So sure, I, I want to see us grow. And, I, and over the next several weeks, we're going to talk about some things that's, that's probably going to come up and some things that, that could, could happen or need to happen to, to see that happen. But... I never want to lose sight of the fact that what is most important is not bigger, but better. And not just better, but great. To be a great church. Now, does that mean that I don't think cross-culture church is a great church? I think cross-culture church has, has done and, and does some things that it does very well. I think we have impacted some lives, changed some eternal destinies, and I think that's great. But I don't think we're a great church. Not yet. Since we started and since we meet in a school, I thought it appropriate that uh, we kick off this, this series, that we, that we build this series around something having to do with school. When I was in school, those of you who are in school, your, your parents or your grandparents, your teachers... Your counselors, they're always encouraging you to get good grades, right? Got to get good grades. Got Good grades. Got to get good grades, right? Your parents, any kids, teenagers, y'all ever get pushed like that? Got to get good grades? I will call you out. You're going to be in trouble. <laughs> right? Yeah. You got to get good grades. In fact, the aim, what you desire to do is get great grades, man. Great grades. Now, I don't know if the, if the grading system is still the same as when I was in school. But when I was in school, that meant that you were going to aim for straight A's. 
straight A's, man, that would be great to get straight A's. Hey, Zeus, get straight A's right over there. But as a church with a lot of C's in its name, as cross-culture church, I want to challenge us to aim for straight C's in this series that we're starting today entitled Making the Grade as a Great Church. Aiming for straight C's. Wow, really? <laughs> you know, you know what? I think I think the teenagers started that club because they're like, "Yeah, if I can just make a C, I'm I'm good. I'm I'm happy." I just aiming for straight C's. <laughs> Open your Bibles this morning to Acts chapter one. You may have a hard copy, you may have a digital copy, uh, or you may look at the copy up on the screen because it'll be up there as well. Acts chapter one. Acts chapter one. It is the fifth. Is it the fifth book of the New Testament? Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, Acts. Acts chapter 1. We're going to focus this morning. I'll be honest with you. We're really just focusing on verse 8. Because that's all we're going to get to this morning. But but over the next couple weeks we're going to be looking at 8 through 14. But I'm going to read uh, Acts chapter 1 beginning in verse 1. And I'm going to read through verse 14. We're talking about making the grade as a great church. What does a great church look like? And over the next... uh, what should be four, five, maybe six weeks, we're going to examine 11 subjects where we as a church ought to make a C. In fact, if we make straight C's, we will be able to, to look and say, to the glory of God, we are a great church. Acts chapter 1. Here we go. Listen. This is the first account that I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach. Until the day when he was taken up to heaven. By the way, I guess I should say this. Uh, The book of Acts, uh, almost universally agreed, was written by uh, Luke, the physician. The 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 Theophysis, I'm sure I didn't say that right just then, (laughs) Um, is a Greek name that means lover of God. Uh, whether Whether he used that just kind of like as a way to say this is to all the people out there who are lovers of God, or whether it actually was a person Name Theophilus, either way, it doesn't change what he has to say. The first account I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had by the Holy Spirit given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after his suffering. In other words, after the cross, he presented himself alive by many, what are those next two words? Come on, convincing, by many convincing Proofs appearing uh, to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. You know, when a dead guy shows up and hangs out for 40 days, you know, if, if you see, if you go tell somebody you saw Jesus uh, one night, they might say, yeah, you, you must have had a double cheeseburger with bacon or, or he smoked something or something, right? But... For 40 days, you know, you understand what I'm saying? Speaking the things concerning the kingdom of God. Gathering together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me. For John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time that you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? A bunch of good old Jews. They want to know, when's Israel getting, getting his power back? 
He said to them, it's not for you to know times or epochs which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and even to the remotest part of the earth. And after he had said these things, he was lifted up and while they were looking on and the cloud received him out of their sight. He just disappears up into the clouds. And as they were gazing intently into the sky, while he was going, behold, two men in white clothing stood beside them. And they also said, men of Galilee, why do you stand looking into the sky? This Jesus who has been taken up from you into heaven will come in just the same way as you have watched him go into heaven. And then they returned to Jerusalem from the mount called Olivet, which is near Jerusalem, a Sabbath day's journey away. When they had entered the city, they went up to the upper room where they were staying. That is Peter and John and James and Andrew and Philip and Thomas, Bartholomew and Matthew, James, the son of Alphaeus, and Simon the Zealot, and Judas, the son of James. Not Judas the betrayer, another Judas. These all with one mind were continually devoting themselves to prayer along with the women and Mary, the mother of Jesus, and with his brothers. You pray with me this morning, Father God. Uh, As we look at your word, as we uh, read these pages, uh, historical events that happened 2,000 years ago, and yet I I pray that they would leap off the pages into our lives and be fresh today, that we would realize that that we can see amazing things in and and through your power, uh, through this church, if we are uh, who you would have us to be. God, we desire, I I think I could say that we desire to be a, a great church, not to our glory, but to yours. We desire to be a great church that is impacting our community and the world around us. God, I I truly am grateful for everything that we've seen happen over the years. But I make no apologies for saying, God, I want to see more happen. I want to see more. I want to see more people committing their lives to Jesus Christ. I want to see our baptismal waters stirred more and more and more. I want to see our children's ministry filled up with children in the halls running around going crazy and having a good time in Jesus' name. I want to see teenagers committing their lives uh, to, to vocational service on the mission field or in the ministry or wherever it might be. I want to see uh, adults uh, taking a whole new level of responsibility with their walk with Christ and, and their willingness to engage their, their workplace or their community or whatever it might be. So God, as we walk through this over the next several weeks, as we look at what it takes to make the great as a great church, I pray that each of us individually who make up the church, we are the church that we would grab a hold of the truths found in your word and that we would not be shaken from them and that we would be changed as a result of it and that this community would be changed as a result of the change that goes on in us and that this world would be changed as a result of the change that goes on in us. We believe in God the Father. We believe in Jesus Christ. We believe in the Holy Spirit and he's given us new life. Uh, So may that impact this life that we have now. In Jesus' name, amen. 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 Okay, uh, one one idea to share with you this morning, as far as we're going to get, is this. In a great church, there is the presence of the supernatural catalyst. There's your first C. In a great church, there is always going to be the presence of the supernatural catalyst. Uh, and just, just to read in, in the very first part of verse 8, it says, But you will receive power. 
but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. According to uh, Webster's uh, dictionary, uh, a, ca- a catalyst, uh, if, if you're not familiar with that term, a catalyst is an action or reaction between two or more persons or forces precipitated by a separate agent. So an, uh, a separate agent brings this, this uh, reaction uh, between two or more persons or forces. That's a catalyst. Therefore, a catalyst is, according to Webster, and the agent or an agent that induces a catalyst, one that provokes significant change. The Holy Spirit is the supernatural catalyst. He is the one who, who invokes, who, who causes a significant change to take place in our lives, to take place in the life of the body of the church, to take place in a community. It is as a result of the Holy Spirit's presence moving in and through our lives. As the book of Acts opens, y'all with me? Y'all ready? As the book of Acts opens, Jesus has walked this earth He's taught his disciples. He's lived a sinless life. He's gone to the cross. He's been crucified for our sins. He's gone into the uh, tomb. Uh, Three days later, he's come back alive. And he's conquered death, hell, and the grave for all of us. I I haven't said it this way in a long time. But I used to say it uh, like this. Salvation. The Father thought it. Jesus bought it. The Holy Spirit brought it. Satan fought it. But praise God, I caught it. Now that... Theologically, it's not that separate with the Father and Son, but all that. But you get it. But you get it. Right? The, the salvation has come. He's brought this thing. And as a result of that, you and I have this, this, this change that takes place when we commit our lives. This change that takes place when we commit our lives to Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit comes into our life. He is this supernatural catalyst. And things are different when I genuinely commit my life to Jesus Christ. Said it a million times. No, I don't become perfect. I don't become sinless. But this power enters into my life that changes me from the inside out. It changes me from who, who Clay was, who Clay wanted to be, who, what Clay wanted to do, into who God wants Clay to be. He remolds and reshapes the clay. It is the supernatural catalyst at work. In, uh, in 1994, it's a long time ago, but in 1994, I was invited uh, to travel with a group of guys, actually from, from a number of churches, not just one church. The church I was attending, a group of guys went, and, but there were a number of churches involved in, uh, in procuring a big like Greyhound bus and uh, going to attend a, a Promise Keepers men's conference in Indianapolis, Indiana. Some of you perhaps remember the Promise Keepers uh, men's movement uh, that was around a number of years ago. I, it, it, I, don't, I don't know that it still is. I never hear anything about it anymore. But uh, it was in, it, they were having a conference in Indianapolis, Indiana. We were living in Atlanta at the time. I was working on my undergraduate degree and, and uh, preparing for, for ministry. And so I went with this group of guys on this bus, drove 11-hour bus trip from Atlanta, Georgia to Indianapolis, Indiana. 11, 11, 11 hours on a bus full of guys. <laughs> right? Just, who wouldn't want to sign up for that? And, and here's the thing. On the way up, and, and every guy, well, if you're married, ladies, you know this is true too. 
on the way up, it's, we're just a bunch of guys, right? Just talking a bunch of guy stuff, right? Guy stuff, y'all know what I'm talking about, guys? Just talking guy stuff. We're from Atlanta, so we're talking Braves baseball, and we're talking Georgia football, and we're talking hunting and fishing, and we're, we're talking golf, and, you know, we're just, we're just 11 hours, bus full of guys, talking about a bunch of guy stuff, because that's what guys do. Well, we get there, we go to the conference, and it was great. It was fantastic. It, it really was. It was an amazing experience. The, 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 the music was, was fantastic. The preaching was, was just inspiring and unbelievable. And when it was over, we loaded back up on that bus for the 11-hour bus ride home. And I, I, I don't... It, before we even got out of the parking lot, I cannot, ha- I cannot explain this to you, it just, it just spontaneously happened. Before we got out of the parking lot, even, guys began to stand up and go to the front of the bus where there's a microphone, and they began to just share about what they had gotten out of that weekend, what God had done in their lives that weekend. I, 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 can't, I can't explain it to you, but this, the, the 11 hours coming back, and I, this, I, 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 don't, I, can't, I can't put this in words, but the 11 hours coming back, Felt like 15 minutes. I cannot explain this, but it, it, was, it was the greatest uh, uh, actualization of the power of the Spirit of God that I have ever experienced before or since. Uh, the, men just, uh, and, and you know, we're, oh, guys, we are so men. They, they didn't, nobody had to be manipulated or guilt tripped into, oh, don't you want to get up and share what this has done for you? There was none of that. It's just men just began getting, and, and men were just openly weeping and confessing sin. And, and, and some man would stand up and he'd start singing some song and all the men would just, stand, would just stand up and just start singing it as well. Men were praying. They'd just get on their knees and they'd just start praying out loud for their churches and praying for their families and, and, and praying for this and that. And it was, it, I've never experienced anything like it before or since as far as I can think. In my life, it was an unbelievable manifestation of the Spirit of God falling on that bus. For 11 hours going up, all, all, we were just a bunch of guys talking about a bunch of guy stuff. And for 11 hours coming back, all we could do was talk about Jesus and our families. Uh, by the way, when, when I talk about the Spirit, the Spirit of God uh, falling on that bus or uh, the Spirit of God falling, filling a person. I want you to understand this. It's not a matter of, of me getting more of the Holy Spirit, okay? God love them, my brothers and sisters in Christ, but the Pentecostals have got it wrong about this. It's not a matter of, of me getting more of the Holy Spirit. It is a matter of the Holy Spirit getting more of me. That more of me is submitted, more of me is surrendered, more of me is given to him so that his power can be manifested in my life. So when I say the Spirit showed up in that place, I don't mean that he wasn't there to begin with. The, the, I think Scripture is very clear that the moment a person receives Jesus Christ as their Lord and Savior, God the Holy Spirit comes to dwell within us. It doesn't mean lightning struck or some, but that's what the Bible says. The Spirit of God came to dwell within me. I didn't get a quarter of the Holy Spirit. I didn't get 50% of the Holy Spirit. I got 100% of the Holy Spirit. When he came to live within me when I received Christ as my Savior. But how much of me is always surrendered to him or in position for him, for his power to be exhibited in my life, to be displayed through my life? I remember this one guy on the bus, not, and then I'll get off the bus. But this, 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 this one guy on the bus, 
I'll never forget this one guy. He, he, after some period of time, he went up to the front, he took the microphone, and he, and he said, I just want you guys to know, and this guy was, a, he was some sort of high-level uh, corporate executive, very wealthy and, you know, one of those, one of y'all like that. And, and, he, and he says, I want you to know, I gained a lot from this weekend. I, I gained a lot. He said, but my family gained more because when I get home, my wife is gaining a husband and my children are gaining a father. Only God can do that. Only God can do that. that. You can't manipulate that. You can't force that. You can't. Only God can do a work like that. But it's, let me say this. It's not, the Spirit's presence is not determined or gauged by the level of emotional involvement. Okay? I want you to hear this. That the emotional exertion in a worship service or whatever is not necessarily the evidence of the Spirit's presence. I have been in situations, whether it's on the mission field or in a worship service, where it has been absolutely stone silent. And people stood or sat in absolute reverence. And I've been in situations like on that bus where it was very emotional and people are crying and people are lifting their hands and, and people are, are, are shouting out and praising God. I've been in both of those and I've, and, I've, and I've seen the presence of God in both of those situations. The, 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 the level of emotional involvement is not necessarily the determining factor of whether the spirit is present or not. I, uh, I had a young lady a while, it's a year or two ago, uh, emailed me. Who, she was part of Cross Culture, attended Cross Culture, and she told me that she was thinking about leaving Cross Culture Church, and she and she was struggling with it. And so that's why she emailed me, and and she said, "Man, I, I, I love I love Cross Culture Church. I love the people. I love the teaching." But she had the week before, just I don't know, with a friend or something. She had attended another church, and she said, "I'm really, I'm just thinking, I'm battling with it, and I, I'm thinking about leaving." Because, and this is what she said, this, this is her words, because they have the Spirit there. Those were her words. They have the Spirit. Which when she said that, I knew instantly what she meant. What she meant was that the service was very emotionally involved and there was lots of, uh, you know, praising or shouting or lifting hands. And I, I, I'm, not, I'm not saying right or wrong. There's a place for it. I'm just saying that, that that's what she meant. They have the Spirit. That's what she said to me. So... Uh, since she came to me actually struggling. You know, most people I never hear from if they leave. Or, they, or, they'll, or they'll come to me and tell me why they, they've left. But not actually in the midst of the struggle. So I said, well, as long as she's asked, asked I'm going to go ahead and speak, speak <laughs> what I think. And so uh, I, I, I reminded her of a couple of things. And I think I brought them up on the screen. The first thing I reminded her of was, was this. Is that, um, oh, if I got, I got scripture references, yeah, go on past those uh, Tyler, I'll come back to them, hopefully. Uh, that worship is not for us. A reminder that worship is not for us. It's not, it's not for us. It's not about, wow, I just, I, I really enjoyed worship today. Or the, I love that particular uh, style of music. Or uh, the, the temperature was just right in there today. Or this or that. Or I, or the, worship is not for us. Now listen, we all have our preferences, right? I understand that. That's the reason why, there are more than, that's my, why there's more than one station on the radio dial. We have our preferences. I understand that. But God help us when we forget that worship is not about us. That it's about God. And, and whatever this song is, whether it's my favorite song or not my favorite song, or whether I know it or don't know it, or whatever, this, I, I, if I'm focused on Him and worshiping Him, that. And the other thing that I reminded her, which is kind of connected to that idea, because this is essentially what she was saying, 
is that, and I said this, shame on any of us who are more worried about what other people think of us when we worship than what God thinks of us when we worship. Because that's what she said. She said, I just felt freer to worship. Shame on any of us when we become more concerned about what other people think of our worship than what God thinks of our worship. Shame on us. Shame on me. Let me tell you something. The, uh, the, I, was in a, this was, I was pastoring another church a number of years ago and, uh, in, in the service. And I, it was just, I was just moved. By the, by the way, I, I don't mean to say, when I say worship is not for us, I don't mean to say we shouldn't enjoy it. I love our worship. I think our worship is awesome. I, I love worshiping God, but it's not about me. That's all I'm saying. So I, I, was, I was pastoring this church, and I was up on the platform, and that's what this kind of style you did at that church is up on the platform during the worship uh, component of the service, so to speak. And, and it was just, the worship was awesome, and I was just, I, I was just, uh, I was just moved by the service. And, and I, just, I, I just began to feel moved, just, just, just lift my hands in, in, in praise and worship. By the way, lifting hands, okay, whatever. I don't care. If, I mean, lift your hands. Don't lift your hands. That's up to you. But please understand, it is a very biblical concept to, to, to lift my hands in worship. Just, just, just so you know, uh, in Psalm 63, 4, So I will bless you as long as I live. I will lift my hands in your name. In uh, Psalm 119.48, I will lift up my hands to your word, which I love, and I will think about your law. I've never seen any of y'all lift your hands while I was preaching. I just, just saying, I'm just saying. Psalm 134.2, I will uh, lift up your hands to the sanctuary and bless the Lord. Psalm 141.2, uh, may my prayer be counted as incense before you and the lifting up of my hands as the evening offering. Lifting of hands is, is essentially put on par with prayer right there. So I, I'm not, like I said, I, I'm just saying it is a biblical concept, this idea. I always uh, tell people when they ask me about it, I think of it two ways. That it's like this. It's like, I surrender, God. I surrender. Every bit of my life, I surrender it to you. It's you. And it's like this. It's like this. God, I, 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 my hands are empty. I have absolutely nothing. I, I, I'm bring, putting nothing for you. God, would you, you fill me. You fill me. It's, it's that idea. So I'm not forcing you or telling you to. I don't like those worship guys that say, hey, everybody lift your hands right now. So you might... I'm just saying, so, so here I am in that service, and I'm praying, and I'm, I'm, I'm singing, and, and, I just, and I just spontane, I just feel led to, to lift my hands in worship. But I wasn't pastoring a church where lifted hands was practiced. So you know what I'm saying? You know what I'm saying? And so here's what happened. So, I, so, I, so I, literally, I'm like, whoa. And I, I like came to my senses. Whoa. I, I, and this one, this one, I'm in my mind. I can't, I can't lift my hands. Everybody think I've gone Baptocostal or something. I can't. I can't. I can't. What, what in the world? I, I, can't lift, I can't lift my hands. I mean, what will people think? What will people? And instantly, instantly in that moment, the Spirit of God spoke to me. And you, y'all know those times when it's like afterwards, the Spirit brings something. You're like, oh, Lord, you could have brought that up sooner. But I mean, in that instant, I'm so grateful because I'm like, oh, I can't lift my hands. And in that, God just spoke. And I know that sounds weird. I didn't hear it audibly, but God spoke. And he said, oh, well, I didn't know this was about you. That's what he said to me. And I'm telling you, and, I'm, and, I, and it so broke me in that moment. I said, God, forgive me for, for thinking more about what other people think of my worship than what you think of my worship. It is about you. And I just, and I just lifted my hands and, and, I, and I, just, I just praised him. Because it, it's, it's the Spirit's presence. It's not necessarily dictated by emotional. That, that's not it. The Spirit of God's presence is manifested through the power that you see exhibited in change in people's lives. Not with how much we lift our hands or how much we cry or how much we 
speak in a tongue. I don't, don't even can't take me down that road. But it's, it's, that's not it. It's, it's in how does, the, how does the Spirit of God change my life as a result of being in His presence and knowing that He dwells in me so that I can worship Him. Now, uh, Tyler, if you will, please, Zechariah chapter 4, uh, verse 6. Not by power or by might, but by my Spirit, says the Lord. It's not about you being a good Christian. It's about what I do in you. And I change you. That's my power at work in you. John chapter 14. I will ask the Father and he will give you another helper that he may be with you forever. Look at this one. This blows people's minds. John 15. When the helper comes whom I will send to you from the Father, that is the spirit of truth who proceeds from the Father. He will bear witness of me. He's going to... In John 16, uh, verse 7, But I tell you the truth, it's to your advantage that I go away. For if I do not go away, the helper shall not come to you. But if I go, I will send him to you. He said, I got to go away because God the Son in human flesh, I'm just one person, I'm, I, can only, I can only see so many of y'all today. But, but to send God the Holy Spirit, he can impact all of your lives, all at one time. So it's good that I go away to do that. It's the presence, the Spirit of God working in our lives. In a great church, there is the presence of the supernatural catalyst working in people's lives. And that's not determined by how many people do or do not lift their hands. It's determined by how many people's lives are changed. My life and other people that I come into contact with, that I influence, are is God using me to impact and change their lives. If we're going to be a great church, we cannot say, well, oh, we, we, we've got to do this and we better do that. There, yes, there are things we've got to do. But if we think for a moment that this is about us or what we're going to accomplish, what we're going to do, we are sadly mistaken. The Spirit of God must move and do this or it will not get done. Not, not in a way that counts for eternity. Otherwise, it's just fleshly man. Oh, look at there. We, we got 400 people to a, attend a lollipop convention or something. I don't, I don't know. Something. No. That's, that's what you want in your life. That's what you want to experience. His power working in and through and flowing into your life. In the book of Acts, the Holy Spirit's presence had a profound effect on the church's ability to impact its culture. As we're going to see in the coming weeks, the church was being called by God to step up to make the grade as a great church, demonstrating His love and power. But they couldn't do it on their own. The same is true for the church today. We can't do it on our own. We need a super catalyst. Join us next week for the second part of our new series, Making a Grade as a Great Church, Aiming for Straight Seas. We're glad you joined us for this week's message on Crosswalk. Pastor Clay is the author of the book, I Get It, discovering how to really live in the promises of God. My prayer is that God would use it to help some people understand a few things about what it really takes to live in the promises of God. God wants you to live a life of peace and purpose and meaning and hope and fulfillment and contentment. He wants you to live a life without fear and without anxiety. Many people at some point in their life feel disconnected with the type of life and faith they read about in the Bible and what their lives look like on a daily basis. What is it that we're missing? What is it that we're not getting. If I'm not really living in the promises of God, why is that? That's what this book explores. I Get It is available online in electronic versions for the Nook and Kindle, as well as paperback from Amazon.com. And ask for it by name at your favorite local bookstore. You can go in bookstores and just say, hey, uh, have you got a book in here uh, entitled I Get It from Clay Stevens? They can order this book out of their catalogs that they get. Get your copy today. Discover the promises of God and the steps you need to take to get it. And join us here each week online for another Crosswalk message. 
God has invited us to know Him through His Word, the Bible, a perfect record of God's revelation to man and applicable for every area of our lives. And if you're in the Raleigh area, we invite you to be a part of Cross Culture Worship. We meet at 1030 every Sunday morning at the Leesville Road High School, a mile and a half south of I-540, exit 7. We're a church, but instead of religion, we're about relationships. And instead of rituals, we practice realness. Our desire is to be used by God to show people that a life built on the finished work of Christ on the cross is where they will find what they're searching for. Learn more about us, who we are, what we're about, what we do, and what we believe. Visit us online at crossculturelife.org. I'm not the water, I'm not the bread, but I know the place where your soul is fed. So hungry and thirsty, come and be blessed. I want to lead you to the cross. church for people like you. Cross Culture Church, taking the cross to our culture and taking our culture to the cross.